Well, good evening, everybody. Nothing awkward is about to happen. We're just having a panel discussion tonight, and I hope you know that. As you see tonight, we have nine of our elders here tonight. And tonight what we're going to be doing is addressing the Southern Baptist Convention. And we really have three specific goals as we talk about the Southern Baptist Convention tonight. And one of our first goals is to define what specifically is the Southern Baptist Convention. Our second goal is this, is we're going to discuss the headlines surrounding the Southern Baptist Convention. If you're aware of evangelical news, there's a lot of headlines that are circulating online and on the internet. Um, some of those things have caught our attention and likely have caught your attention as well. So we're going to talk through some of those headlines with you tonight. And thirdly, and what many of you are probably interested in our third point is, what is our future involvement with the Southern Baptist Convention going to look like? So we're going to discuss all three of those things this evening. And it really is great to have all nine of us up here. Um, there's very few occasions where we can be all up here together. That would be an interesting sermon to have nine guys preaching at once, but we're going to take a shot at it tonight. So as we get started, I'm just going to give a very clear definition as to what the Southern Baptist Convention is. So here's more of a formal definition for those who do not know. The Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination. That's an important point. I'm going to say that one more time. The Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination. Rather, it is a body of like-minded local churches cooperating together to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. There are currently more than 50,000 Southern Baptist cooperating churches and church-type missions. Of these 50,000 churches, they all agree with the, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. So that's a formal definition, but there's also some very important functions of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I want to highlight a few of them before we get started. The most significant function of the Southern Baptist Convention is missions. And the majority of the budget pertaining to the Southern Baptist Convention in the cooperative program goes to missions, specifically missions, evangelism, and church planting. And these resources are facilitated through the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. And the second significant function of the Southern Baptist Convention is seminaries. Again, seminaries. Um, this is ministerial preparation and continuing education are provided through the following seminaries. There are six seminaries, and here they are. Gateway, Midwestern, New Orleans, Southeastern, Southern, and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminaries. In my humble opinion, of those six seminaries, the best one is? New Orleans. No, no, no. It's Southern Theological Seminary. And the reason that's the best one is because that's where I went to get my MDiv. Isn't that right, Pastor Scott? We were going to say Christ Theological Seminary. Ah, we were, yeah. yes, Christ Theological sure Seminary, absolutely. Of this, oh, of the six, so we still know who's best. Yes, of the six, the best of the six is the one that I attended. But if you're looking for a seminary, of course, the seminary here at, at Riverbend Christ Theological Seminary is the best one. Pastor Rick, do you have any opinion on this? Yeah, I definitely, uh, when I went to seminary, Southern was definitely not the best. Oh, boy. Actually, it was the closest for me, but I chose to go to Southwestern because back then in 1984, Southwestern was actually the most conservative of our seminaries. Southern was not even in the race when it came to being conservative at that time. Much has changed since then, thankfully. 
I'm not going to tell you how old I was at that time, but that was a long time ago in 1984. But you went to Southwestern in Texas, and then Pastor Roy Hargrave, who used to be the teaching pastor prior to Pastor Scott, he got his PhD or did his PhD work from Southeastern. So many of our pastors have an affiliation with many of the seminaries at, um, through the Southern Baptist Convention. There's other functions of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, ethics, many of you have probably heard of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, they do ministries that address ethical issues in the United States and abroad. Um, we also, the Southern Baptist Conventions provides Christian resources, um, church enrichment ministry and literature um, through LifeWay Christian Resources. Many of you probably heard of LifeWay Christian Resources, but the important note about LifeWay Christian Resources is that none of the resources that are given to the cooperative program are given to LifeWay. It's self-sustaining. And lastly, another very important function, and you'll hear more about this later, is Guidestone Financial Resources. And what Guidestone Financial Resources is, they manage ministerial retirement and insurance. And they also administer something called the Mission Dignity. And what Mission Dignity is, it's an assistance ministry for retired ministers and their families. So does that give some clarity specifically on what the Southern Baptist Convention is and what it does? Raise of hands. Okay, so in light of that definition, I'm hoping some of you guys can help me out. Um, in light of this definition, what does our affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention mean? And maybe you can highlight some of those key words that I use in that definition as well. So guys, go ahead. I think two of the, uh, am I on? Two of the definitions, uh, I, I did turn it on, there. All right, so two of the th words that I think that are important are gonna be independent and autonomous in that. Yeah. We are not a denomination, which you pointed out, and that's big. We're not like Presbyterians where the higher up can tell us what to do. These are churches that are like-minded through the Baptist Faith uh, Message 2000 that come together just to pool money to go towards missions and training. Where could they read that Baptist statement? I mean, we, we really want them to yeah, read that. Well, it's on S the SBC web, the Southern Baptist Convention it's website. It's an excellent document. We would agree yeah. with it. So, um, but, but you're just pooling money together. So we affect them. They cannot affect us. And so autonomy of our church and independence. And our, their founders were were very rigid about that. They did not want people telling them how they could run their own churches. Yes, yeah, so Baptists in the South in particular were militantly independent people, and, and they didn't want the trappings of a denomination that could tell them. So, you know, something happens in the general, general assembly of a Presbyterian denomination, that filters down to the individual churches and it has to become policy there. That's not how it happens in the SBC. So anything that, that is said uh, in the executive committee or some of the hierarchical kind of echelons of the convention have no bearing whatsoever as to what happens operation or belief or even management of funds on the, in the local church whatsoever. I don't think part of that is that, um, part of that, is that um, we call our own pastors, we own our own property, none of that. Uh, many denominations will tell pastors where they go and when they move and those kinds of things. But because we're autonomous, we're able to do that. And, and same with beliefs. So the Baptist Faith and Message is a document we would find to be good, we would agree with, and, and it's the agreement not to control our beliefs, but on which we cooperate, so that we support missionaries that hold to those beliefs and so forth. Our statement of faith here at Riverbend is, is more detailed, it goes further, it goes deeper, but it's, not, it's in line with the Baptist Faith and Message. And we're totally autonomous to go deeper and to go further and to be more specific from scriptures 
uh, on our beliefs. Somebody address the conference issue. Maybe, Paul, maybe oh, so the difference so they understand a conference versus yeah. an association and all of that. Yeah, so the, with the convention, actually the Southern Baptist Convention really only lasts for like two or three days, maybe most you would say technically a week in the year, and that's when the meeting happens. This last year it was in Nashville. It happens about every June. Um, this next year is going to be in Anaheim. After that meeting, it's where everybody comes together. We vote on some things that really have no binding for the most part on the churches themselves, but it's binding to the leadership of, of the convention. And then everyone goes their separate way. So the affiliation that we have is actually just for, like I said, everyone comes together, we've pooled our money, we say this is what we want done, and then we go our separate ways. So that's why it's not a denomination in the, in the um, traditional sense of what like a, uh, you would say like, oh, I'm a PCA, you know, I'm a Presbyterian or, you know, I'm a, a Episcopalian or whatever. It's not the same type of thing there. Yeah, and the words are very important. So the words being used are convention, association, which shows mutual cooperation. So to, to give an idea of how it's structured, uh, every area within a state has a local association. So there's the Halifax Baptist Association here in this area. And then above that, there's the Florida Baptist Convention, which is a state entity. And then you have the national. But the national only convenes for a few days uh, in a year. They decide some direction moving forward as missionaries to fund and other, other worthy projects. And then they disband. And so it's not there. So really, and, and as a church, uh, we are not actually affiliated with the local association. We are an at, what's called an at-large Southern Baptist Church. Uh, we'll affiliate with the state convention, and we can affiliate with the national convention, but we're really not connected with the local association at this point. Okay, so a couple key takeaways is we're autonomous, both financially and from a pastoral perspective. And we convene once a year to decide on leadership issues. And it's really the pooling of resources for missions, both locally, abroad, and to equip seminaries. Did you want to add to that, Pastor Scott? Yeah, and I think the guys that were on the search committee for bringing me here, I think I'm the only pastor that's not from a Southern Baptist, or I've never been in a Southern Baptist church. So it was a huge question for Gina and I as we came, as we sat with the search committee, like, okay, um, well, I think you like us, and we like you, and, you know, we're dating here, but you know, <laughs> who are you tied to? I mean, yeah. we started, because I didn't know. I mean, I, we've been an independent church planning, independent Bible teaching churches all of our ministry of career. So that, that was a huge question for Gene and I. Um, are we going into something where we're tied to some associations where they're making decisions for, for our church? Because um, we're from the West and we just didn't know that. And so as the search committee walked us through there, they, they helped us understand the conference um, and our association uh, and how that works and the complete autonomy we had as Riverbend Community Church. That was a big decision making for Gina and I. We like the theology, we like the direction of the church, we love the core of this church, we, we believe God was calling us, but we did not want to get into something where we had some outside influence that was not going to let us go where we believe the Bible was teaching us. So just, I think it's good for the congregation to hear that, that that coming from my position, maybe some of you are, this is your first Southern Baptist church you've ever been in, we were coming that same way and we, and we learned from our search committee right. to say, no, no, we're autonomous, this is, we, we, we make our decisions, we understand. Right, and even for me personally, God was gracious, he saved me in a Southern Baptist church and I attended that church for years and years and years, 
but I had no idea what the Southern Baptist Convention meant, what it was, until I went to seminary at a Southern Baptist Convention seminary, and then there was more clarity there. So hopefully for some of you that don't know really what we're talking about, you're developing a better sense this evening. But we do have a long history of participating with the Southern Baptist Convention, and I know Pastor Jerry, how long have you been a pastor here, Pastor Jerry? Uh, 27 years. 27 years, okay. How about we clap for 27 years for a pastor, Pastor, right? Pastor Rick is more. What's that? Pastor Rick has more. Pastor Rick has more. And how many years, Pastor Rick? 31. 31, all right. <laughs> and for some of you younger people who don't know Pastor Jerry that well, he might be the funniest person on stage. <laughs> Uh, my son and I have nicknames for Pastor Jerry. We'll keep that to ourselves, but he's a great guy. So if you don't know Pastor Jerry, you've got to spend some time with him, all right? But Pastor Jerry, in your time here at Riverbend Community Church, um, help us to better understand our history. What is Riverbend Community Church's history with the Southern Baptist Convention? When the church was founded in 1956, it was founded by First Baptist Church of Daytona Beach. Two years later, when the church became its own entity, it affiliated with the Florida Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, and the local Halifax Baptist Association. Very active in all three of those for, for quite a while. And sometime after the year 2000, after we had moved to this property, by the way, we were Ormond First Baptist Church to start. We changed the name in 97 to Riverbend. I'm sorry, 98. Moved here in 97, changed the name in 98. But uh, being involved in the Halifax Association, they looked at us with an awkward eye because we were reformed. Pastor Roy had led this church from a liberal status to a reformed status, and some of the folks didn't really understand what that was, so they weren't too keen on our involvement in some of their activities. Uh, there was a church in the association who brought in a pastoral team, husband and wife. They were co-pastors. And some of the churches in the association didn't want to do anything with that. Pastor Roy was strong, and he says, we've got to go by the Bible. Mm. So he led a movement to have that church kicked out of the association if they wanted to stay the way they were. And so some of the other churches didn't like us even more because of that. And then uh, the director of the Halifax Baptist Association decided that he, he was more reformed than not, so he decided to join Riverbend. And the bylaws of the association said, as long as you're a member of one of the cooperative churches, you're okay. So he was a member of our church. Well, they didn't like that. And they called a meeting of a certain committee, that did not include us, but Pastor Roy told me to go down to a meeting and to get in that meeting somehow. And I did. <laughs> and I was able to find out that they wanted to get rid, if this guy would not leave our church and join one of the other 31 churches, the director of missions, if he wouldn't do that, they wanted to get, get rid of him. So it, it it involved uh, the director of the state convention who came to a meeting and then a second meeting at a church where anybody in the association was allowed to come 
uh, we took about 50 or 60 people, stood up for our member, who was the director of the association, and they decided he was going to have to go or we were going to have to go. So some things led a little domino effect, but eventually we decided to get out of the association because they forced him to resign. So we got out of the association, and Pastor Roy really wanted to get out of the Southern Baptist Convention totally. But when we found out that we would not have any means of having uh, benefits for our staff, he decided let's remain in a minimal fashion. So that's what we did. And that's kind of the history that led up to maybe uh, eight or nine years ago. And so we have not been active in the association for maybe eight to 10 years. Mm. Pastor Roy also say something about he saw the graduates coming out of Southern Seminary and these others were becoming more reformed. And so he did want to put money that did support those seminaries that were starting to graduate reformed uh, Baptist, uh, you know, Christian men that would preach. Was that also? He, he did like the, the way the seminaries were training and there were more and more reformed people coming out. So we continued to support that. Yeah. So at the state and local level where that wouldn't happen, we removed. But at the national level where that would happen, we remained. And what was that seminary again? The good one? <laughs> just kidding. Southwestern? Just, no, just, just kidding. But uh, that's the rest of the story. So that's some background with our cooperation with um, the Southern Baptist Convention or other lo uh, conventions from a local, a state, and a national level. So that's very helpful. Um, Pastor Rick, I know you've been to maybe some conventions yourself, sent some delegates, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, since the founding of the Southern Baptist Convention, it was founded with uh, very strong reformed roots. In fact, the first five presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention were all strong professing um, reformed theologians. But through the years, there's always an erosion of uh, liberalism and there's always been a fight against liberalism. And what I mean by that, I'm not speaking politically now. I'm talking about their view of the Word of God. And the fact that the Word of God is inspired, it's inerrant, it's without error. And people would begin to rise up within the convention, and some of them get in leadership that didn't embrace those uh, ideas. It started infiltrating our seminaries to some degree, and we had uh, professors teaching things that we would not believe. And yet they, because of the nature of the Southern Baptist Convention, they work for us. Hmm. And a lot of us determined that uh, there needed to be a change. And so some very brave men stood up and made a stand and rallied the people and I was actually at the convention in Dallas in 1985 where there were 45,000 delegates there that mm -hmm. voted. And um, thankfully, many, um, it, it began a turn in our convention. We call it the conservative resurgence. Mm. And uh, men like Adrian Rogers and others just, um, and I remember Do uh, Dr. Rogers would always say, yes, we want peace, but not peace at any price. Mm. We will stand for the word of God. And uh, the people rallied and we voted. And I believe in church history, in American church history, it's the only uh, major denomination um, 
although it's not one, um, <laughs> that has started that far down a liberal path and actually came back and um, and totally transformed, and even Southern Seminary became a good seminary. Yeah. <laughs> this won't be an ongoing joke, hopefully. We'll see. But I think the key point is there is that in the Southern Baptist Convention, there was a bend towards liberalism decades ago, and some very conservative leaders within the convention saw that happening, and they made a stand. And a lot of our churches, if you could add, Pastor Rick, are seeing the fruit of their stand. And maybe you can share a little bit more on that as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, just an example of some of the things that was taking place. The then president of the Southern Baptist Seminary wrote a commentary published by Broadman Press. Um, His part, uh, many people authored that, but he wrote Genesis. And basically, when he uh, handled the first 11 chapters of Genesis, He took away all the miracles, explained them through psychology and visions and metaphors, and basically just robbed those first 11 chapters of all their power. And um, things like that was going on, and that's why the people rose up, and they actually rescinded that uh, volume uh, after the uh, 85 through 87 conventions. And now we see even if you are to look at the Baptist faith and message, you can find it online very quickly. You'll see that in the language of their doctrinal position, there is a strong position now and has been for quite some time on the inerrancy of Scripture. So, so grateful for that turn. Uh, Is it around that time where Moeller got a hold of Southern, right? What what year did that start? 92. 92. So Moeller gets to Southern, who's putting out women pastors liberal theology, and he goes to war. I mean, literally. Cleans house, death threats, all of those things. Fights for that seminary along with some other godly men and turns that seminary, right. which that's unheard of in history. Right. Seminaries all, Princeton, you name them, they all go down, they don't come back. Yeah. So, so there's a proof that there, this can be done when godly men, particularly leaders of churches, stand up to, to lead that. Jason? You... Uh, just to add to that, at at Southern Seminary, they had the, the abstract of principles, kind of their statement of faith from way back when it was founded in a Reformed, Bible-believing yeah. way. And basically what he did is he held them to it. Yeah. And so those who wouldn't get out were, were out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the important, importance of good, solid statements of faith yeah. uh, yeah. to guide things. And, and that, back to the Baptist faith and message, the opportunities there, we'll talk about opportunities later, but it's there for churches to hold the convention, bring it back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And I think, Pastor Bobby, isn't there a time where in front of the, the whole seminary, the, the professors go up and sign, I, I think that same document in mm. front of everyone that they, ha- they agree with it and they have to do that every year. Yeah. And I think that when that turn happened with Al Mohler, I think he was 30, young 30s, and really made a strong stand. And it was very controversial. But courageous men stand at difficult times. And there's been some great men who've made some great stands throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, and we're seeing the fruit of their labor even now. I know, Pastor Gary, you've seen some of these things and been involved in the Southern Baptist Convention and witnessed some things. Maybe you can share some of your insights towards um, Riverbend's history with the Southern Baptist Convention and um, some of the developments over the years. Well, I go, I go back many years. Uh, I've been in this church now 21 years. 
But I came from, my wife and I and my family came from the church that eventually had a, a, a woman pastor there, a husband and wife team. They didn't stay too long, but they were there for a while. And we saw the erosion that can take place in a church when liberalism creeps in. That's why it's so critical that we do all that we can to support the, the young men coming out of our seminaries today that preach the whole counsel of God and preach the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of salvation. So critical. And we saw the, the erosion of that in that church and we left. Uh, there were some other reasons why we left too. But we had been in that church for 30 years and we watched it deteriorate over a period of time and it was very sad. When the Southern Baptist Convention had the, the takeover of the conservatives coming in finally and transitioning the convention, those professors had to go somewhere. This is kind of a, how things work. <clears throat> they went to the University of Richmond, from what I understand, and they utilized the space there, and they took those professors and formed a seminary there. And the husband and wife team that ended up in the church that we came from went to that seminary. So you can imagine the, the theology that entered that local church. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that, but it, it was very, very sad to see the deterioration of things that they now consider normal, that are sinful in the scripture, are now accepted in that church. And that all happened, you know, by degrees. And Things happen over a period of time. It's, it's like boiling, putting the frog in the mm. pot of hot water, mm. and you just gradually turn up the heat. Mm. And so we have to be very, very careful of that. And in evaluating our position with the Southern Baptist Convention, it's something I think we'll do every year. Mm. The elders will take a look at it to see where we are, where we want to go with it, what we want to support or not support. Do we want to leave? Do we want to stay? Those kinds of things. We're going to keep watch on that to make sure that we're doing the right thing to the best of our ability mm. and be prayerful about that for us as we, we make these kinds of decisions yeah. because we don't take them lightly yeah. at all. And that's a really good transition because I think thus far, I hope everyone here has developed a sense of what the Southern Baptist Convention is, our history with the Southern Baptist Convention, but our next question is, what is our position now? And Pastor Brian, maybe you can help us to better understand what is our current involvement with the Southern Baptist Convention, not only financially, but maybe even non-financially. So yeah. maybe you can speak to that for well, a Well, non-financially, not too much. <laughs> we don't really do that much with the Southern Baptist Convention as we stand. Although uh, lately I know Pastor Scott has been having some really good conversations with the, um, the, the director of missions for the local Halifax Baptist Association. Even though we're not part of that, he's had some really solid conversations with them. I've had some conversations with the, uh, the president of the Florida Baptist Convention. But... How we do things financially, um, we used to give $250 a month to the cooperative program. The cooperative program is like a big fund, a pool. And all the churches that just want to give an undesignated, just a general offering to the convention, they go into this big pot called the cooperative program. And that cooperative program then is used to fund missionaries and seminaries. And we'll talk a little bit more in detail. I think Pastor Bobby will do that here just a little bit. But we, we decided this year that we were not going to give to the cooperative program while we keep an eye on what's going on in the convention as a whole. So instead of doing that, we decided to direct those funds 
uh, toward the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Organization. And if you know anything about the, the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Organization, you'll know that it is probably the best in the nation. They're always there first whenever hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever the situation, they're on the scene and they're ministering the gospel. In fact, when um, in 2004, when, when we had Hurricane Francis and Jean rip through the city where I was pastoring down south, uh, we had a large tract of property, like, much like this one. It's a little, little bit smaller than this. Uh, and and we, we allowed the, the disaster relief agency to come and use that property as a staging grounds. And it was like watching a military operation happen. They had plans and charts, and they were going out for the sit, different areas of the city, ministering to people, and not just physically, which was important, but they were bringing the gospel with them. And so they would, they would board up windows, and they would hand out food, and they would talk about Christ the entire time that they would do it. And so when we direct those funds to the Disaster Relief Agency, 100% of those funds are going to those activities and nothing else. And, and honestly, I mean, that's all that we're doing financially is $250 a month to this agency. Now, what that allows us, though, is to take advantage of some of the programs that are available to us from Guidestone Financial Resources for insurance and retirement and a few other benefits. I'm not sure we want to go that detailed at the moment, but... You're fine. Okay, so Guidestone Financial Resources is like, is the, uh, the financial management arm uh, as a service to churches and cooperating members of the convention. And with health insurance, you all know that health insurance is super expensive. <laughs> and, and so with having the number of employees that we do, uh, to be able to minister, I want to be able to take care of them if they get ill or injured and whatnot. We do have health insurance. And we can save, we, in fact, last year we saved roughly 31% by using Guidestone Financial Resources as a group insurance policy. We also have life insurance policy, a, a small life insurance policy through them. And we also have a retirement. It's, it's an annuity uh, that, that we as an employer contribute to, and they manage it just like any other mutual fund kind of company where they, you, you could choose how you, you want your funds invested on an individual level. And, and they're great resources. Uh, I mean, there's other services that they provide that we don't necessarily take advantage of, but just giving that, that token amount per month um, allows us to take advantage of those and realize some significant savings while still providing for those who minister the gospel here at, at Riverbend Community right. Church. And that really leads us to our next point, is some of you probably have heard some of the things, in the again, online and headlines that are happening within the Southern Baptist Convention. And with those headlines, there's questions. Should we stay? Should we not stay? And as elders, we've been evaluating what are the benefits of staying with the Southern Baptist Convention? And we wanted to share some of those benefits with you um, tonight. Did Bobby, you... before you get into that, because yeah, sure. I just want one little footnote, is we're talking about supporting missionaries. Hmm. And it's probably good for everybody to recognize that none of the missionaries that we support are actually Southern Baptist missionaries. Um, we select uh, missionaries uh, through people that we believe uh, would be aligning doctrinally with us, and they're doing the kinds of things, church planning or training people for ministry or uh, evangelism ministries, all those types of things uh, in other countries. And uh, we have associations with other churches that are like-minded besides the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And so just thought that might be a good thing yeah. to note. It adds to the, it adds to the <laughs> autonomy of our church right. that 
we're, we're not bound to whatever the Southern Baptists tell us to do, even in our missions. Right. Our goal is to find men and women who align with our theology, will work like-minded with us to reach the world of Christ. I think that's a very, very good point. It just points to how free we are as a church mm. to, to do that. I think that's excellent. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's very important because if you're some churches that do give to the cooperative program, that basically is all the missions that they do internationally. And there is a disconnect between you and the missionary that you support. And one of the things that you'll learn if you hang around here for quite some time, several of our staff and our pastors have a very good relationship with our missionaries. We know them, we know their children, they stay at my house, they stay at your house, and we can pray for them and we get to know them. So when we give two missions, we know specifically what the need is and we know their philosophy of ministry as well. We're not giving money to some guy in, in France who's playing at a coffee shop and hoping to talk to someone about Jesus sometime this year. We're giving money to people internationally who are serious about church planning and making a stand for the gospel. And I'm sure there's people in the cooperative program who are doing the same, but there is a sense of intimacy that we have when we directly support our missionaries as well. And I think that's a point that you're developing, Pastor Brian, Pastor Scott. One, one more thought is uh, from, from a financial, and, and again, we don't make decisions purely out of finances, but we probably should take a look at that as good stewardship. When Gina and I left Hollister, our church was paying $51,000 a year for our insurance. And what is it for our family? Yeah, on average, 22, 21? It's, it's $23,000 basically yeah. a, a year. That's a massive, when you start for thinking about our staff and providing insurance for our staff, that is hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, there's benefits to having a group plan anyway, but what Pastor Scott is saying is well-founded. And, and it, it is significant. Like I said, last year was 31% on premiums. Um, from group policies. So it does enable us to be good stewards, and, and part of being a good steward is providing for those who minister the gospel here in our church as well. And, and even more so, there's a gospel part of that, right? Because if we spend, have to spend that money insurance, that means we're not spending it on another employee. Mm. And that means somebody else who, who is not ministering. And every person, and I've stood before you during... Um, our family meeting and told you every person we're employing has a gospel ministry within this church. And so us being able to hire more people because we're saving money on one part is not just us like trying to look out for some type of financial money thing. It is also part of our goal of spreading the gospel because now we can have more people to do those things. Mm. So that's why it, it, it goes towards our goals. And, and I don't want to minimize that as a person who receives no benefit from that. I still think it's important that we have that. I still think it's important that we have people and have the ability to hire more people because that's what we want. We want as many people giving the gospel out as we can and that helps our goal. So, so continuing down that path, as we look at a cost-benefit analysis, as we're looking at our cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the benefits is our, the participation with Guidestone and the ministry that they provide to our church. But help us to better understand what are some of the other benefits of participating with Southern Baptists and the Southern Baptist Convention? I mean, I think well, one of them is, the, you know, if, if somebody wanted to do an online seminary, they could do that. Um, if for some reason they didn't want to go to the best seminary in the country, they could go to the <laughs> second or third. Um, you can make me chuck out the Christ <laughs> Theological Seminary exactly. before the end of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, you do get a significant um, uh, savings in, in doing that. And, um, and there's so many different things 
that they, they've given us counsel on. I know through uh, Guidestone has counseled us on, on some things as we, uh, especially as you try and navigate the, the legal waters of, of benefits and all of that and how many people you can hire and what that means and this and that. And um, it, it gives us a, a sense of, uh, it gives us a community of, right. of other churches that we can, you know, kind of pick their brains and do right. other things. And of sense. those six seminaries, again, they're located across the U.S. Mm -hmm. And there is a need for training men across the U.S. Um, not every church is as blessed as we are to have our own seminary. There are other churches in New Orleans, out west. But if you are a Southern Baptist church, that particular seminary student receives a 50% discount on their tuition, which makes seminary for people who are working and have families much more affordable, much more doable. So again, an analyzing the benefit of staying in the Southern Baptist Convention, it enables us to equip the next generation of seminary students is, who can train in churches. Isn't there, um, like how many seminary students are trained through the seminaries? I mean, Southern Baptists, even though we only make up of that, I think like 16 to 20% of, of, of um, evangelicals in America, we train one third of seminary students, of all seminary, of all seminary students coming in America, North America, so Canada included. So, I mean, that's huge, one third of all seminary students coming out are coming from one of those six seminaries. And one third, I just wanna make sure you heard that, one third of seminary students come from a Southern Baptist Convention seminary. And the flagship seminary is a seminary that aligns very closely to our doctrinal statement as well. So that's good news. So we see seminaries, um, we see our relationship with Guidestone. Uh, our relationship with Founders is growing too. And for those who don't know, Founders is a, a reformed, Baptist Reformed group within Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And it's an important group. And they have morphed through the years and they've had their issues and goods and bad times. But what's going on now is very good. Tom Askell, who was with us here not too long ago, came and spent some time with us. He spent time with our elders. I just spoke with him yesterday. He's praying for us even now as we present this. Um, he's with Bodie Bachman. Um, I mean, there's some great guys. We see people like uh, um, Steve uh, Lawson, others coming, MacArthur, others that are, be, are really supporting this group because they know that this Reformed theology that our, our, our church holds to needs to be the strong, pressing, stand-up guys within the Southern Baptist Convention. And so a lot of people are supporting founders. We're gonna, many of us are going to go to the conference in January uh, spend time with those guys. And so, again, it's, that's not anything we're tied to, but it's a group of men that say, hey, let's stand up. Let's fight. To so clarify, for the men that are part of the. They're, they're part of Southern Baptist Convention. These Thank churches you. are all Southern Baptist Convention right. churches. Um, but within that is this group they call themselves founders. And, and there's, there's no tie to it, there's no money, there's no none of that. It's just a group of men say, hey, let's fight for truth and not let this thing go down the drain. Right, um, and, that's, so, and that's our next point too, and yeah. we're segueing really well into it. What is one of the benefits of staying with the Southern Baptist Convention? And I say another benefit is influence. Mm -hmm. um, we've been very passively involved, but again, we find ourselves as, liberal, as liberalism creeps in to make a stand. And we've seen some, real, some of these liberal issues starting to come to the forefront with women pastors, critical race theory, and so what we're doing is we're really partnering with other like-minded Southern Baptist men, the Tom Askells, the Vody Bachmans, who say, wait a second, other men before us have fought these battles. We should do the same. 
as of right now. And again, as Pastor Gary said earlier, there's times to reconsider, readdress, but maybe tell us a little bit more about the benefit of influence, how influential is the Southern Baptist Convention on American culture, um, if the Southern Baptist Convention went away. Pastor Brian, why don't you help us, a little, uh, help us out with that a little bit. I think it's good for us to have a, a little bit of perspective here to think about this. That you know, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's only one church, people. Mm. There's one church. Mm. And nowhere in the Bible do you see a church separating from another church. I think that should weigh on us a little bit. The, the, the trend a lot of times in especially Baptist churches is separation. And we are to separate from apostasy and false doctrine. But I want to walk as far down the road with a brother arm to arm as I can mm. and not be so quick when I hear something that is troubling to run mm. and to separate from that person. There's, there's so much in Scripture that teaches us that we are to, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, to strive together for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And these guys are going to talk a little bit about some of the problems that we are seeing in the Southern Baptist Convention. But I think it's time right now to, to strive together, to realize that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we don't want to leave them behind. Mm. Just because we are so blessed in our church to have good doctrine, good preaching, one thing to recognize about the Southern Baptist Convention is there is a resurgence. While they fought the battle of inerrancy and won, there's a resurgence of Reformed theology. Many, many churches have a biblical plurality of eldership, which you're not going to find very often. There are just so many different distinctives that we have that are common to many churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so that's one thing to just really let weigh on us as we consider what our responsibility is and what we will do and how we will handle it as we go forward. Pastor Scott, you're taking us through 1 Corinthians right now. How far was that church down, <laughs> that pathway? Yeah, and the Lord brought them back. And um, it was interesting just today, um, Tim Mann at Providence, uh, we have a good relationship with Tim. And and I've asked him to be a part of our Christmas Eve service. Uh, we've asked Crosswalk to be a part of our Christmas Eve service. Uh, Brian, as academic dean of the seminary, has continued to reach out to churches in this area, trying to break down some walls, so that not because we want their people. We don't want their people. We want to help them. We use our seminary, use our Bible school. We'll give you whatever we can to help you. So we're trying to break down these walls because we love the church. Mm. We love the church because Christ loves the church. And I think this is well said, that, that we've got to be careful just not to run off. And I think we let some of our political views start coming into church. We have to be very careful of that. These are, our, many cases, are our brothers and sisters. They may be a little struggling with some, some theology and some practice of theology. 
But well said. We, we, we need to stay in this fight for a while. There may be a time, as Pastor Gary said, where we go, okay, we, our consciences are clear. We fought. We, we stayed in. Um, but it's time to start something new. Um, that may come. Um, but let's not abandon them. And we heard very earlier from Pastor Brian G. Quinto is non-financially, we were very much not participating in the Southern Baptist Convention, but we spoke a little bit as elders how that's going to change. So maybe some of you can share how that's going to change, how it's going to look different going forward, or we already talked about founders, but are we going to the convention? Yeah, I think our goal, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say there are two other uh, groups that are like-minded. There's the Conservative Baptist Network, and then there is also uh, Nine Marks. Many people may know about Mark Dever and uh, Nine, Nine Marks Ministries. Uh, nine Marks of a local church, he talks about, uh, or would be Nine Marks that we would say our church matches with. And uh, so, Our church through Nine Marks in here. Lots of you did. And I just talked to another new family here t- this Sunday. They found us through Nine Marks. Um, and so there are these great groups within the Southern Baptist Convention that are very like-minded, and, and we enjoy those relationships. So participating with other like-minded organizations, the Conservative Baptist Network, founders, we're sending delegates this year. That's the plan. Um, and we're going to do more of that because we want to stand in the fight and help our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But we do want to talk about some of the issues that we have seen this past year that's given us a little bit of heartburn um, related to women pastors, critical race theory, and how we thought through those different issues and where we go from there. So one of them, for the sake of time, of course, is CRT. Uh, everyone's familiar with CRT, kind of, sort of. Um, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very brief. Why don't you give us a brief, um, what is CRT, and more specifically, Resolution 9, um, as it pertains to the 2019 Southern Baptist So critical race theory simply is an ideology, and I would actually say that it's a false religion. Uh, If you took the class, you'll hear how I build that out. That basically looks through the whole world, uh, their whole worldview comes through power, and and where you sit on a power grid, and, and, and your power grid has to do with uh, what's called uh, the, the hegemony, the, the ha- what identifies you, so your intersectionality, like because you're white or you're male or you're straight or you're Christian, you know, or you come from two parents or whatever. And that is how you're supposed to see the world. And um, it, it then says how you're supposed to give up your power and you're supposed to actually um, listen to people who are, are lower on that power structure because they have the real truth. And, and so that's really what comes out of intersectionality is this, what, what uh, Vodibakum would say, like an ethnic Gnosticism, where because of what your skin color, how much melanin you have in your skin, you actually have access to more truth than a, than a white person would, mm. uh, or a straight person would, or a male would, or whatever have you. And so this has been coming through for a while. This you know, started back a long time ago. Critical race theory itself started through uh, Dr. Bell in the 70s. Where it came to Resolution 9 uh, was, I think, 2019, 2019. And uh, basically, a person out in California had written a resolution that basically said, this is bad, and we don't want it in the convention. And so they submitted it. Well, when you do that, the committee that's there is able to make modifications to it. Well, the, the intent was maybe little modifications. They basically stripped the whole thing and turned it around and said, well, 
it needs to be under the Bible, and it has been used in a bad way, but really, it shouldn't be seen as an ideology. It's just an analytical tool that you can use to see the world. That was the big problem. And what I want to say right now is Resolution 9, when you actually read it, some of the hubbub that gets at it makes you think like, oh, this is, they just want all CRT. What, it, what Resolution 9 said, what the big disagreement is, is they're saying, well, we can use this as an analytical tool to see the world. It is not an analytical tool. See, critical theory people would never want it to be used at that. It, it, a component of critical theory is that you're able to have an activist thing with it. So it's actively deconstructing these structures. So you can't use it as an analytical tool. And so to allow any of it in was what we didn't like. So critical race theory found its way in 2019 into the Southern Baptist Convention through a resolution. And, and, a, and a resolution is honestly just an opinion. So right. again, a resolution is like, this is our opinion of the people at the time. It has no binding. You don't have to teach it now in the seminaries. You don't have to believe it now as a church, it, it, whatever they said. It's basically them just going, hey, we had an opinion, and here it is. And it's like, okay, so what? I mean, so, and because it's gone after that year, we tried to rescind it the next time, and they said, well, you can't do that because that was just the opinion of the people at the time, and unless you get all those same people at the same time, and, and you can't do that, so it's gone. So resolution has no bearing on the Baptist faith and message. No. And for those who don't know, truth does not come from your level of oppression. <laughs> right. Truth comes from Christ and Christ Absolutely. alone. He is the way, he's the truth, and he's life. Yes. Thank you. And so that's the problem here because with critical race theory, if it's allowed into your churches or other places, where does uh, truth come from? And we know very clearly that it comes from scripture. So we don't want it in our church and we no. don't want it in other places, but nevertheless, there was a resolution passed. But I just wanna read something real quick and Pastor Brian, I wanna hear some of your input as well. But after the resolution passed, again, we're talking about earlier the importance of seminaries, but after this resolution's passed, presidents of all six Southern Baptist Convention seminaries declared in late November 2020 that they are fully against critical race theory. And, and that's important. And one, more, one more point, and then I'll let you both you back in because I know this no, no, gets I mean, a nerve with you, bud. And it will not be allowed to be taught in their schools. Right. So I think that's a very important clarification as we see things on the internet where the Southern Baptist Convention seminaries stand and what our worldview is as a church. Pastor Brian. Well, I think that's one of the hard things about our day and age is that everything is so uh, popularized by the media, you know. So Southern Baptists, the 5,000 people at that convention that particular time, 5,000 churches rather represented, uh, somebody put a resolution forward and the, I guess the majority of the delegates there voted to approve this resolution. Uh, there's another issue that uh, happened with the executive committee and there's been some cover up of abuse in certain churches. Well, no matter how minor that is, it gets exponentially accentuated in the uh, media and so the Southern Baptist Convention gets the reputation that they're for critical race theory and they uh, cover up abuse, you know. But there's 50,000 Southern Baptist churches, right, mm. around that. And there are about 5,000 that are represented at that particular right. convention. And that shows us that if you just even get 
a fraction of the churches that would be against that, right. that uh, you could really change things. Right. So again, of 5,000 of the 50,000 churches participated during the 2019 convention where that resolution was passed, what if more conservative churches participated? How would the dynamics of the Southern Baptist Convention change? And that's what really excites us, Pastor Jason. And, and, that's, and God used that happening a generation ago on inerrancy hmm. when most of the churches believed the Bible. And when they realized when it came out, our seminaries are teaching the opposite, that led to 45,000 in Dallas in 1985 hmm. that turned things around. And I, still, I think that's still the case. And, and there is that opportunity. Tom Askell said, what do you say, if, if 300 churches would have just sent a couple of delegates each, this wouldn't even be an issue. We wouldn't even be talking about it. Right. But because, like us, we're, we're doing our own thing. We, we believe we are autonomous. So there's importance of the local church. And so we're fighting our own battles. And so we just we don't always keep our eye on that. But it's just that what Jason is saying, Pastor Jason is saying, is it's caught our eye now. And it's got churches like ours going, all right, we're going to stand up and fight. Because, listen, you may say, oh, that's Southern Baptist. Maybe we should just get out of Southern Baptist. This is going to leak into every area of Christianity. This is not just a fight to stand up and say, oh, let's get the Southern Baptist uh, back online or to leave. It's coming to a church, to you, to a school, to you. It's coming down the line. And so it, it, I think that's interesting that we, let's see what God does. And that's where our commitment is as elders. And I think a commitment as a church, I, I believe you're with us on this, that, okay, let's, let's stand up and fight for a little bit. Let's, mm. let's see if the, God will salvage this thing like he did a few decades ago. Mm. I mean, Southern Baptists, when you look at it, Southern Baptists are one of the last major organizations that have held the line here. I mean, you look at the Catholics, their pope right now is from South America and believes in this uh, kind of critical race theory, liberation theology type thing, Episcopalians, uh, even the PCA now, you see things coming in through the PCA, which was supposed to be the, Southern, or the conservative branch of the, uh, uh, of the Presbyterians. And so, you know, we're holding the line here. <laughs> we're one, and so it is, it's, there's a line in the sand and hold the line. So two things really worth fighting for. Number one is our brothers and sisters that just need our help, as Pastor Brian explained earlier. But also, to a degree, it's a fight for our culture. Um, what is truth? Where is truth derived from? From the local church. And can we help our culture through 50,000 other churches to hold the line when it comes to truth? Pastor Jason, go ahead. Just the opportunity to fight for the truth, we won't compromise the truth. So as we're watching it year by year, if that would ever be needed to stay associated, we would not stay associated. Right. We, would, we would withdraw. Yeah. And just to be clear, one more time, Pastor Paul, does re the passing of Resolution 9 impact Riverbend Community Church in any way? Not, not in the least. It's an opinion of some people who, there's nothing binding, absolutely not binding at all. Okay. We haven't gone woke yet, have we? No. <laughs> <laughs> And, and one more issue I'm sure some of you have heard, and we're going to have to go quickly through this as well because we're running out of time. But there was um, some issues with marriage um, during the year. Not marriage, excuse me, women pastors. 
um, some churches within the Southern Baptist Convention had women pastors. Paul, can you address that for a second as well? So the big thing about women pastors is definitively Baptist faith and message does not believe that women can be pastors. Now, how people are interpreting that is, is that mean lead pastor? Does that mean any pastor? Does that mean someone who can teach from the pulpit? And so there, that is where the confusion is coming in, are those bottom definitions. There are churches that have assigned or appointed senior pastors who are women who the Baptist Convention, even this year, have removed um, from affiliation with them because it is not in line with the Baptist Faith Message 2000. What you see a lot of the, what's going on is their definition of, okay, well, we have like a children's pastor or we have a music pastor and that's a woman pastor. And they're like, well, that's not the senior pastor. That's not the authoritative pastor. Or Beth Moore is sitting out there giving Mother's Day messages and her elders are saying, well, yeah, but she's teaching under our authority, so she's not teaching authoritatively. So that's where the fight is in that. Obviously, at Riverbend, we believe that someone who's going to teach from the pulpit or be in any way a pastor, uh, the Bible teach, clearly teaches it's going to be a man. But um, that's, that's where it is. But if you have a woman pastor as your senior pastor, you will be removed. And they've done it, and they did it just this year. How many times did they do it this year? At least twice. Okay. They moved churches from the convention because they put past women into pastors. So that's Southern Baptist. They removed those churches. That had so kudos for them. Thank yeah. you. So as we're wrapping up, just a couple more thoughts. Where do we go from here? Maybe a couple of you can chime in. We've heard issues about critical race theory. Does it impact our local church? What other churches are doing with women pastors in terms of the convention? They're removed. Does it impact our local church? What do we do in terms of our forward position with the Southern Baptist Convention? I think, I, I don't think, I know we stand for God's word. Because what's going to happen as time goes on here and persecution grows, and look, our opposition should not be other churches. Mm. we got enough problems with the current administration, and mm. who's behind that guy? Mm. Um, uh, and so what it's going to come down to, and, we, and we've talked about this as elders, is you're going to see churches, no matter how, where they land on Reformed or you know some of the different beliefs that are in some of their, that we're going to come down to who believes in Jesus Christ in the Bible. Mm. And, and that group is going to have to stand someday as we head for persecution. So we're not going to compromise. Mm. These nine men, and I think you too, mm. we're not compromising, mm. but we're going to lovingly try to link arms with other churches and brothers um, in pulpits and leaders to try to stand and say, don't muddy up the waters of how to come to Jesus right. through critical race theories and social justice movements and all of this thing, you're, you're going you're gonna to hurt the faith. And so I think down as we go, guys, we know that we're going to line together with people that maybe we're not all together on the sovereignty of God. Mm. Uh, but they teach the gospel. They believe Jesus died for sinners. Um, and we're going to end up linking arms to do that. And we want to be in a position to do that. And that's what Pastor Brian's doing so well with the seminary, the Bible college. We're going to, God's going to give us opportunity to, to get, to help other churches, right. to, to be a benefit to them. And I think we are probably a church that people know about in the area a little bit. So let's try to use our influence uh, for Christ and his glory and for the truth of the word of God. Someone has to lead. Yeah. And the solution is, I feel comfortable leading for these specific issues. Yeah. Agreed? Yeah. 
Yes, I feel comfortable standing on God's word, making a stand for Christ is the only truth and the way to salvation. I wanted to read a concluding statement. This comes from the Conservative Baptist Network. And they've also seen, and they have an, another paragraph that addresses the issues that we've talked about tonight. But this last paragraph, and Pastor Brian Shealy shared this with me, and I think it's helpful. This is the solution that they propose with the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm going to read it to you. It says this, the solution is for conservative Southern Baptists to engage and become more involved in the work of the Southern Baptist Convention, attending the annual meeting, voting according to biblical convictions, supporting conservative candidates for the SBC presidency, and partnering together through conservative Baptist network are important aspects in re-engaging to preserve the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think that's what you heard here tonight as well. Okay. Well, thank you guys. It's great having all nine of you up here with us tonight. Pastor Gary, as we conclude, would you mind praying for us? I'd be glad to. Thanks, brother. Go ahead. Let us all go to prayer. Heavenly Father, what a gracious privilege you've given us, Lord, to be able to gather together tonight and deal with a subject that's uh, quite challenging. And yet, Lord, as a, as a church, I, I believe we're, we're really defining ourselves with one another so that we can stand together for your truth. Thank you, God, that we have the word, that our word is opened and it's preached clearly and concisely, Lord, to our congregation here and taught to our children. Lord, the, the importance of knowing your truth is, is so, so large, Father, it's hard to describe. But we pray, Father, you'll continue to bless our, our church, our congregation, as we live out our lives and grow in Christ and grow in his grace and mercy, under his mercy, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cooperation that our churches work together with other churches, Lord, and we, we pray that that will continue. Lord, please give us wisdom and strength in the days ahead that we do what is pleasing and right in your sight. In Jesus' precious name, amen.